Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys, and this is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes with way different jobs, different lives, but a whole lot of love for sci-fi and the fun that comes with. We're your hosts. I'm Peter McKay, coming to you from a desperate situation where my son has taken my laptop computer, and I don't have all of the copy that I normally have in front of me when we record these episodes. So. Anyway, T.T. Cavman, take it away. <laughs> Thanks, I'm T.T. Cavman, and uh, I'm coming to you from, I guess, a slightly more stable uh, technological environment, uh, which is quite the opposite, usually, from what's going on. So, all of my stuff generally tends to act around the, what we call field expediency. Yes, so. yes. Well, that I can understand. There. Improvise, adapt, and overcome, Mac. That's what you gotta do. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. So, any uh, anything uh, exciting happen? Were able to? Uh, did we discuss anything? <laughs> we talked about Christmas lights maybe coming down uh, for me. Um, yeah, you know, I noticed one thing. Um, a lot of other fans like the movie, except ah. for one, one group. And I don't know if you're familiar with them. Red Letter Media. Um, oh, the Communist Party. Yes, I am familiar <laughs> with them. Uh, you know, up until we had to start doing... Asymmetric warfare uh, against terrorism and counterinsurgency. We did a lot of Soviet doctrine training uh, yeah. to fight the old Soviet hordes. But uh, yes, I am familiar with these red communist <laughs> bastards, and uh, I don't Not approve. The same thing. Not the same thing. I mean, are you sure? You won't approve of them anyway. But they're not the same thing. <laughs> They're a, they're a group, redlettermedia.com. I love them. Uh, they've got very good commentary on uh, Star Wars and Star Trek. They come from the same level that we do. Um, and I, I totally suggest you you check out a Mr. Plinkett review. Uh, mm, no. Very That's insightful. <laughs> it's very insightful. Anyway, they did a half in the bag on Ghostbusters uh, Afterlife. And they, they felt, huh? Were they drinking? No, they were not. See, then it's, it's lies. Half in the bag <laughs> is an alcohol term. Already, I don't like you. They guys. normally are drinking, but they're doing a special where they had to just get the uh, get the Witters, recording done. Got it. Yeah. Um, anyway, they they basically felt their souls die watching that movie, which I felt was unfair. Did they watch the 2016 version? They did. Um, that was that was what killed their souls, and then this is what the what was left of their souls wisping away from them. You know, <laughs> uh, having not seen their review and not very interested in seeing seeing their review after your short description. <laughs> you know, I think they're wrong. I honestly, I felt. I felt at peace with it. Well, yes. 
and there was there was some excellent storytelling. Yes, were there a lot of callbacks? Sure. But that's what happens in things called sequels. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, in a true sequel to a film series, there's usually a lot of callbacks to earlier films. Okay? Yes. I mean, that's kind of what it does when you have continuity in life. Okay? <laughs> that's what happens with life. You're not doing shit in a vacuum. No. No, and I think I think that's the most important what the, the most important takeaway is you walked out of there feeling fulfilled. And I did. That, that's what that's what matters. I and could I, hit this movie if I wanted to. Was yeah, it perfect? And, and, no, but no film really is. I mean, there's maybe a handful of movies I've ever seen that I thought were perfect. This movie I thought was pretty close, at least for me as a fan. Yes. And I can I can I can respect that and I like that. The only thing I can say is I I I this is where I'm I'm making my comparison. It's not like The Force Awakens where I walked out of the theater going, "Wow, I loved that movie." And then the next day I started going, eh, "You know, there's some problems with it." And then the next day I'm like, eh, "They really could Did I watch this different. like 30 years ago? <laughs> yeah. It was that's what happened to me with with the force awakens this is not that this has not happened to me no and yes there's always going to be some some uh accusation i'm sure of that since they fought the same villain okay yep it's kind of you know into uh star trek into darkness caught a lot of shit because basically they just rehashed and did a uh, kind of a flipped and not as clever as it wanted rehash of the wrath of Khan. It was so, just a terrible rehash. We've never yeah. talked about that together. Well, uh, I remember telling you before you went that it was going to be a terrible experience, and I feel bad for saying that. Um, uh, I didn't have a <laughs> bad experience, but again, it was one of those things where you walked out of the movie and you're like. Oh, this was good. And then you're right. It starts to hit you a little later on. You know, but, you know, but with Ghostbusters, those guys must have been like uber fanboys that were pissed that their uh, fan fiction didn't get written. Because (laughs) most of the human reviews, but done by fans on. You know, Facebook and those can be really toxic and really troll filled. Okay, mm-hmm. I know because I I read the comment section in a lot of sports blogs and uh, on Facebook and other social media platforms and like man, it's, <laughs> you can't get five compliments even in something great here before you start getting an equal amount of hate. But most of the stuff I saw in the Ghostbusters feed for this one was. Was uh, it was really positive, and there was a lot of people who said, you know, that they were filled with emotions when they saw Harold Ramis's ghost, you know, Egon's ghost. And yeah. spoiler it, alert, everyone. It, it, well, and we spoiled <laughs> it at the end of the the last, and it was it was tastefully done, 
it wasn't overblown. I liked that Egon was kind of the, the unseen ghost. That was was great. It was a good way to get to have the character still involved. Yes. Um, they didn't get that kind of treatment in any of the other movies, you know, because um, for the most part, most of the ghosts they were dealing with weren't entirely benevolent, you know. Right. So <laughs> this is it was nice. I enjoyed it. I thought they did a great job. The kids were solid actors. You know, they weren't kids for the sake of throwing kids in it. You know, no, which, they were not. which can no. tank a movie, you mm-hmm. know, and sometimes I, you know, and I've tried to not be so set in my nostalgia and so the stereotypical straight white middle class Christian male. How can you not? <laughs> I mean, that's ever. I mean, it's only the fact that I'm, uh, you know, I also have some some extremely hated uh, ethnicity in my background that I can count on that is basically <laughs> keeping me from being, you know, public enemy number one, you know, Italian. I got it. Arabs and Jews, dude. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've been able to throw a little bit of that back at people and get the stun, the stun mullet look. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you, you get, um, you get, uh, you know, there's sites like the Mary Sue, which is always supposed to be, you know, they're like supposed to be socially progressive, you know, takes on movies and stuff like that. And they kind of called out hypocrisy on Afterlife, which didn't open with as much, you know, which fell $2 million short on its opening weekend and Ghostbusters 2016 and there was all the trolls. And yes, there were oh so God. many trolls that trashed that movie. And I'll say this. That movie was more of a straight comedy, I think. Oh, that, we, already, we already discussed that. Right. Yeah. But I it, but they're like hammering this. It's like, you know, it's like being whitewashed. And, you know, it's, you know, all the male super fan. I'm like, look, the lead character was a female was a young girl. Girl. <laughs> who really was the key to the whole movie. And she right. was a really good and engaging character. She felt human. We've all had, when we were kids, We if you didn't know this, the weird, socially awkward, you know, uh, techie kid, that was you. That was it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you either knew who the person was or you were that person. There's mm-hmm. always one of those. And she was engaging without falling into too much stereotypes. You know, the socially awkward super scientist, like, you know, you get, you know, bones or, you know, in Rizzoli and Isles, Dr. Isles, you know, like these super smart female characters (laughs) who miss a lot of social cues. Okay. And yeah, but I mean, I was thinking of McCoy. No. Well, yeah, (laughs) I know. I I, 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 you're the show bones, right? Dr. Brennan. Which and both of those shows I mentioned love both of those shows mm-hmm. and McCoy who was a racist pretty much. <laughs> his, <laughs> Time has I mean, not been kind to Doctor McCoy. <laughs> I he's still one of my favorite characters just because of his he was a personality, you he know. Was. But he you know he wasn't 
he was rough around the edges, and yeah, maybe he was a little spicy to Vulcans, but the man was nothing but a lifesaver. That's all he wanted to do, which you can respect that, you know? Yes. And he was willing to stand up to anybody to do it, but now we're jumping tracks. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, so I, you know, I mean, I watched a lot of the reviews like Looper and uh, Watch Mojo and all these uh, Screen Crush, all these other uh, YouTube uh, videos that like will do reactions and, you know, meanings of things and, and uh, you know, Easter egg searches just because, you know, sometimes I like to see, oh, is there something I missed that I can go back and see the next time? Or maybe there's a question I had that someone else might have an answer to and i mean for the most part i i have found it to be fairly positive yeah i i i agree um my my only and i'm gonna we're gonna wrap this up because we got a couple other subjects we're gonna talk about my only rebuttal i've got two rebuttals the first one i can watch them and enjoy them and disagree with what they have to say about something i like yeah and number two <laughs> Number two, Mike, one of the guys on, on Red Letter Media. All right, Mike freaking, Rock. I have heard of him. Yeah, freaking loved Jurassic World. So, <laughs> and there are a lot of flaws with Jurassic World. And he came out of there loving it and thoroughly enjoying it. So that's all we need to say, right? Yeah, because well, that, that movie no, I agree. was a big nostalgia goggles, literal nostalgia goggles, holding up those those night goggles. Hey, in fairness, <laughs> they did that too with the yeah. uh, podcast and Ray's goggles. I oh, mean, he literally, right. Right. he literally had the nostalgia goggles on, which was, <laughs> which was, I think, you you got to admit that was probably you know, tongue in cheek. You know, people have been so accused of you know when they rebooted or. Or done long-awaited sequels. It's like, oh, let's put actual nostalgia goggles in here. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So we are going to try to be a little ambitious to, uh, today with our topics. The first one, episode one, season four, Star Trek Discovery. All right. I'll give a positive. We did not, I don't think we got a ugly awkward Burnham cry face in this episode. No, she was unusually happy almost the whole time. Yeah. Right up until <laughs> she smiled everything. A and, lot. Yeah. Um, which it, you know, obviously they're trying to show growth with the character and and I'll say this, as much issues as I have with the character of Michael Burnham, I do like Sonequa Martin-Green. I've seen her in a few other things. She's engaging. Um, oh, yeah. No, I no, think, you blame the I, writers for, for her character. You don't blame her. Yeah. I mean, you you definitely, there's definitely times where you're like, man, this person can't act their way out of a bag. And they're yeah. spoiling good writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, but. <sighs> All right, start off with the synopsis here. Synopsis is, it, you know, it's it's, I guess it's about five months after the end of season three. Okay. Burnham is the captain of the discovery. Now um, they have new uniforms, which are different Again. than the new. 
that's different than the new uniforms they had in the preceding episode. Um, And they're terrible. (laughs) You don't like them? No. Nope. I actually think I preferred the grayer ones they had at the end of last season and I thought those I like were the awful. Ones too. The things I, I felt say, like I was being unfair. Uh, I'm trying to open my mind up to discovery more and so here's where I think they screwed the pooch. Discovery's original uniforms would have been perfect whatever 31st or 32nd century uniforms. Perfect. Absolutely. As, and they should have had to wear the uh updated Sweet versions of the original series uniforms that Pike and company wore. Yep. They did that. It definitely would have given it more credence going into the. This is a prequel. (laughs) Is part of the continuity that they claim that's part of the continuity of the prime Mm -hmm. universe. Would have given us a little bit that and these. Blue uniforms, which I thought were actually pretty sharp, but I also thought they broke the established continuity of Star Trek from the original series, you know, with the whole, you know, Delta insignia in Starfleet at the time. Um, But that would have made a much better looking uniform in the future. Just saying that should have been seasons three and four's uniform, not Mm -hmm. the, you know, but I digress. So they start off, Burnham and Book are doing some, the Discovery as the the one ship that has the spore drive and can get around faster than conventional warp, even though they have found the new dilithium planet. And the Federation has gone from a handful of planets to something like 50, and they're reestablishing. quick work. But some of it is... Federation hasn't really been a thing for 80 years. Well, you can kind of think they might have had some communication with some of these. And, of course, the the worlds that they had direct contact with, like Trill, was one of the first to join. And why Discovery spent some time on Trill. So you, you get the feeling that former Federation members seeing the Federation trying to become its old self, maybe mm-hmm. start in line. Navarre and Earth still haven't yet fallen in line from what I've heard. But, you know, was that I referenced want... on screen? Because I was wondering about that. I think those were things that were referenced the very end in like the voiceover montage at the end of season three, where there was like, you know, Trill was one of the first to join. They start showing like diplomats who had been seen in earlier episodes from legacy races starting to show up. So interesting Mm. and by the way i thought that when they they showed the outside of the picture of that first planet that they're on with whatever those satellites are i swear they look kind of like bajoran sail ships to me (laughs) so i thought oh are we on bajor because that would be great a legacy race Mm -hmm. you know especially since the Federation president, who we later see, looks to be part Bajoran and part Cardassian, and I guess also part human or something like that. She's I a real so, mix. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, maybe this is Bajor. Maybe this spring, you know, this, nope. It's a weird world of symbiotic Pandora butterfly. Pandora light. Yes. Pandora light. 
<laughs> where the humanoids get like flocks of butterflies to become larger butterflies and, and wings. And there's they're having a typical first contact snafu that you'd see in either the JJ uh, Abrams <laughs> Star Trek uh, oh movies or uh, you know I, I mean it's almost fitting because you have seen almost no real diplomats in discovery. No. They're no. awful. And, Their diplomacy and, is, is awful. Because I mean because Archer this is, this is, and his company this is how they without talk. having any experience at all in real diplomacy would get into trouble and then they would still try to find ways out of it. Um but they basically they step like on pranks the whole time. Yeah, and they go, We're the Federation. That's what we do. The Federation doesn't talk like that. Starfleet doesn't talk like that. Starfleet kind of does that. Picard's yeah. always saying, this is, this, yes. you know, Star, this is not Starfleet and stuff like that. No, but but he does it in a better way. Not, not well, that's not what we, he does it more eloquently. It, not, we're that the might be Patrick oh, Stewart, oh, too. Yeah. My thoughts on this world, I hated it. I hated it. it well, it looked, <laughs> it looked like it was uh, sci-fi for the sake of sci-fi. There are zero scientific uh, um, consultants on the Discovery writing uh, team. Zero. There is no reason for these humanoids to be able to fly unless there's some gravimetric issue which wouldn't exist. Hey, butterflies, there would be dude. no reason. And if these things evolved this way on this planet, why would they need an external navigational GPS to help them fly? And the whole the whole beef with them getting antsy over a grudge, the cat, you know. Yes. Is, I mean, does, is, it, is there a, you know, is... Was there not some sort of diplomatic handbook? I mean, it's not like they didn't have like seven, like a thousand years of, of Federation history to pull up <laughs> at this point. Okay. So mm -hmm. it, it was a shoddy done. Re, it wasn't, it wasn't a first contact. It was like re-engagement. They're like, Hey, we're the Federation. We're back. We're here to help. Oh, where were you guys the last, whatever. Uh, well, you know, we all kind of had a problem. Uh, but here's some dilithium, you know, trying to buy people off. And, oh, and of course, they, uh, of course, Burnham comes up with the plan because, <laughs> you know. To fix the satellites. Right. To, to in good faith, to, to have the butterfly people which, be able to navigate while Which is a Federation thing. In good faith. We don't want anything. Yeah. We just want to help. Got it. That, aside from the fact that, you know, uh, I got that. I appreciate that. But it's her and Book running around. Now, I understand. I mean, it's bad writing to put that in there. Like, well, here, here's the thing. Put the satellites in. They just, get the, they just put the satellites in to give them an excuse to do something in good faith. MacGuffin. Yeah. Uh, 
look, it, we're stuck on the opening scene, right? And of course, yes, we are. <laughs> they're they're running they're running through the forest trying to avoid being killed, and they're cracking jokes like it's a Marvel movie. Um, and I I do like Book and Burnham together. I think he yes, actually agreed. gives good balance to Burnham. Um, he's not the uh, the uh, psychosis time bomb that ash tyler was <laughs> which is unfortunate because it's like they just they, they made that guy a a blender of nitroglycerin as oh a character God. which is a shame because I, I thought spy, yeah right right yeah. and i actually like i thought the actor was pretty good but it was a mess the character mm-hmm. was a mess um so it, it was it was and that's how they started off, right? And then they go back to Starfleet headquarters and they report. Oh, and they're going back to the opening of Starfleet Academy, which is going to have like a first class of like 40 kids. And yep. asking Burnham to give the speech. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe mean, the chief they, of staff of Starfleet would have been the one to do it. But you mean okay. the one who's been in the 31st century his entire life? Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that it's Oded Fair. Yeah. So, um, but you know what? Still, I'll grant you, Burnham does make sense because they did, Discovery did discover the cause of the burn and kind of come up with solutions, right? So they're, you know, so they're the Andromeda because they're rebuilding the system's commonwealth. Um, yeah, another Gene Roddenberry uh, uh, property, which we will probably cover at some point. Um, <laughs> but right, so and we it. get introduced to the new president, the new Federation president, who definitely is a politician that you can smell. Uh huh. Yep. Uh-huh. And then we also are introduced to the Archer. Is it at the beginning or at the end where we're introduced to the shipyard? It's at the it's at the beginning of her speech to the cadets, That's which right. was beautiful, and you heard the closing theme of Enterprise, the Archer's uh, theme. Yeah, I and I thought that, that was I nice. Hearing that, I did that was because because nice. it you know Enterprise is getting a little more love. Granted, Discovery is the closest we've been to Enterprise in timeline. It's it's about a hundred years. And, you know, of course, Enterprise has since been made. So I I appreciate that. You know, they talk about the Voyager getting a new system drive or something like that. The mm-hmm. new Voyager J. I, I don't understand why the Discovery is listed as the Discovery A. That drives me nuts. It's still the same ship. They is didn't... it really listed as the A after yes. the refit? Yes. Which is they only which, gave the Enterprise A in, in Star Trek Five. I four, but yes. Well, yeah, okay, four. You're right. But, Good point. But still, I mean, and they don't, and they have precedent, like when they blew up the Defiant and they brought them a new one, and they just changed the registry number because it was already a ship. They didn't rename it the the Defiant A. So no. I, some of it, I think, we get a little sideways on those. But that being said, I love the Archer space dock. I thought that was great. Thought it was poignant. Um, I almost think it's a little bit of a 
bridging out to remind people that Enterprise is, is a valued member of this community still. So I, I, that got a lot of respect for me because I like Enterprise as a series. Um, sure. And then, then she gets into a beef with the Federation president almost immediately. And she's like trying. President to, wants to go on the mission. Right. And yes, you do like you would like any good first officer would do when the captain's trying to leave the away mission. Well, any good first officer pretty much from uh, Riker on forward. Because um, <laughs> Kirk wasn't going to put up with that shit. One of nope. the things I have seen is um, in, a, in a review I read of this episode was comparing Burnham to Kirk um, much more than a Picard. Which I can see. I can see that uh, <laughs> a little bit here. Uh, but it was it was fascinating uh, that they decided that, okay, we have a political leader. Here's a chief of staff of Starfleet right next to you. And this captain who's like, you know, four grades below the military guy. And then the president. Yeah. And after she raises the legit, you know, hey, this is. We're going into the unknown. I don't know if this is wise. Did they lose contact with the space station? They got a, it, it was a space station. They got a message. It was hit by something. It's knocked off its axle. It's too far away for any regular ship. You know, the old start. That's why the Enterprise had to rescue everything. You're the closest yeah. ship kind of thing. Closest so, ship. You're the only one in the sector. Right. It, which was really yeah, hilarious. And he, and he, because right. Discovery is the only one that can get there fast enough. And that makes more sense than the Enterprise being right outside Earth and being the only ship that can respond to anything. So <clears throat> Generations. Uh, <laughs> Star Trek V. Yeah. It's, I mean. You're right. You're right. I forgot. Star I, I, Trek that's the least one I've watched. Star Trek II. They're taking the, the cadet ship. Oh, you're right. Okay, all right. Well, it is a it's just a it, bad Star Trek trope. We we get it. It is at this point they do it on purpose, right? So so they they go out and this space station has been knocked off its axle. It's spinning, and they have to get in and try to either stabilize it. Well, they were trying to stabilize it, and then it starts entering some sort of weird debris field. And, the orc cloud, right? They the orc cloud, orc cloud. Which, by the way single scientific advisor on this writing team or clouds are not that thick but <laughs> well here's here's something else if discovery can put its shields around the space station then shouldn't its tractor beam be strong enough to do something uh yeah yeah <laughs> that that's my theory so the station's out of whack detmer gets to show off for fancy flying and gets it into some sort of weird synchronous orbit which is they, I they think meet do, the pitch and yaw. Yeah, I think that's dubious science at best. Um, you don't but, really need to if you're going to be able to beam over. So, right. <laughs> so especially with the high tech transporters that they're supposed to have now too. But anyway, they, she sends Tilly and Adira with programmable matter and stuff to go over there and help. And you know, you're getting Tilly kind of growing a little bit more into her own. Um, she's not quite the 
and granted, yes, we I know that the character was written with some neurodivergence, um, but she's also gaining more confidence. Uh, I it's still one of the things that bugs me a bit is, and we discussed this in the military thing. Um, it, it almost seems like she is still being leaned on a little bit as a de facto XO uh, of the ship, which still rankles me, and it should rankle any fucking officer on that ship. Because she came oh, aboard yeah. as a cadet, and there are officers there with was years of experience. She was in, like, season one. Oh, and she's, God. She, you know, they're doing that now with these new Star Trek shows. Oh, well, let's have a cadet on the show. This is different yeah. than not getting stuck there during the Dominion War. This is now every ship's going to have at least one cadet doing whatever, uh, semester abroad or whatever. I mean, there's you know, no equivalent to that in the Navy or anything, right? Or the well, Army? Or... In the Army, we got cadet leadership training where after my junior year in ROTC, I went to a, a, a unit for three weeks for three right. weeks and i shadowed a lieutenant i didn't take over anything <laughs> yes sometimes yeah. somebody might put you in let a guy you know let uh a cadet uh de facto lead a platoon which is what a, an army lieutenant would eventually which would, would lead once you get into the active army and go to your first unit You'd, try, you'd become a platoon leader, which is like 15 to 20 people. So, yes, there are some times that certain uh, units would say, okay, well, let's let this kid run it for a week. He's got, a, he's got an NCO who's going to be – he's going to have a senior sergeant first class who's going to be there to guide this individual, you know, like they would with a brand-new lieutenant and do that. So I did that, and as a lieutenant, I took a – cadet around for a couple of weeks and shadowed me as a company commander. I had a cadet for a couple of weeks and I had him go between the various platoons, but in no way did I decide, okay, uh, you can replace my XO. That's my company. Right. XO. Okay. <laughs> and that's what we're seeing in, in Star Trek nowadays. <laughs> Nog, Nog got the cadet thing because he was basically trapped on the, Station during the outbreak of the Dominion War, and what even that, so he was a cadet. And but even still, he yeah, he should have been sent back to Starfleet Academy. I'm just saying, <laughs> field, field, yeah, field. Well, let's talk about the pressure. <laughs> field, field commission uh, for Wesley Crusher, who didn't hadn't spent one day in the academy, so yeah. Exactly. And Captain's prerogative. Well, okay, I guess guess you don't have paperwork in the 24th century. Uh-huh. Um, but still, Tilly definitely is back. I, uh, I'm not sure. I don't know what half the people's jobs are on Discovery. I don't know half the people's names on Discovery. Any of the, the ops and the communications officers, no idea what their names are. There's Reese, there's Bryce, there's Awosha Khan, there's Detmer, there's Nielsen, there's Stamets, there's Reno. No, but who's what? (laughs) Is Stamets the chief engineer? Is he the science officer? 
we Reno is an engineer. That, you know? character. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Reno. Engineer. I guess. You know, I mean, <laughs> at the beginning of the 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 show of Discovery was was Culber the the CMO or was he like the assistant? Because you kind of was like, well, they kept reporting to this other doctor a lot. I'm like, okay, who's the CMO? You know, I mean, there's just not a whole lot of consistency there, which leads mm-hmm. to some confusion. They had a new guy on board because Bryce was transferred off. You saw that at Starfleet Academy. He's helping out one of the other ships, which makes sense. And you figure if the losses that Discovery probably took over the previous year, and it would probably make sense to have a couple of people on board the ship. Yeah, I get it. Breaking up the entire complement of Discovery, bad call. But if the ship but is at least, as big as it is, bring on a few extra folks who have lived in this century. Right, who are familiar with the geopolitics right. of it all. Exactly. Yeah. That was half the problem that Discovery got themselves into. Book, whose book was a good character, but he's not a Starfleet officer. He was a joker. Right, and I like Book. And he does give you that Neelix, that Quark, that, you know, that kind of, you know, rogue who kind of knows what's going on. That Han Solo-ish character Mm -hmm. can say, all right, this you might you might have to take the back door here. So I I like book for that. But you'd like, okay, can't you get a, you know, considering how little the, you know, most of the crew of Discovery gets any screen time. You yeah. can throw on one rando. Oh, this is a uh, Commander Schmuckface from, you know, mm-hmm. Starfleet headquarters as your liaison mm-hmm. and political advisor or something, or a diplomat. A diplomat mm-hmm. would be great on this ship. So, needless to say, Discovery goes to try to save this problem. They do. The commander of the space station is a little feisty. Uh but Tilly, rather than spazzing out like she would have in the past, they kind of work through a few things with this guy, which is good. She, I like seeing character growth um, because, like, they're all inverted because the gravity's off and the inertial dampeners, and it's a mess. Got it. <laughs> but but then he's about ready to lead their crew on a suicide mission when their the station is about to get destroyed by the Oort cloud. Mm. And... You know, the Federation president has to, like, get on the comms and, like, talk him down. And then, of course, Burnham, who's like, oh, well, of course, I'm the one who's most qualified to get in the worker bee and go and fly around. And now you're having an argument on the bridge between the captain and the president. Are you mm-hmm. are you sure you should leave me? In? And I, yeah, now it's her saying, are you sure you should be the one to... To go out there because of the dangerous? Well, I've got all this experience because there's like only two people who are allowed to save Discovery. Typically, right. <laughs> you know, it's usually Burnham or Tilly, some t- and occasionally Saru and Stamets get a chance to do it. Not any of the 800 other members of this crew. Mm-mm. Now, granted, no. you know, he, Deanna Troy got a chance to command the Enterprise. Beverly Crusher got a chance to command the Enterprise. And most of the, and some of them at least had a, a chance to do something that would solve a problem for the day. Most of the Well, they went through it, command training. Right. The problem is is like most of the there are like set dressing, you know. I mean, maybe Detmer is the only other one who gets a little bit of time because she was Detmer with the eye. Yeah, she was the one who was 
also on the Shenzhou or whatever it was with Shenzhou, the yeah. with uh, Burnham and uh, and Saru. So you get this, and then of course they're doing some cherry rigging. They have to do some of these uh, last minute spatial things to save the day. And unfortunately, while they get everybody off the station, there's one last hit from debris. The commander of the space station dies. I they cringe every time that something hit that station because I'm like, that, that won't happen. It wouldn't happen. Well, <laughs> we, we get to the point where the mission is basically a success because they evacuated nine of ten of the station and survived, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, there were casualties aboard Discovery, but the mission is try to go out and try to figure this out. Well, in a, I don't know if you'd call it a B plot because it didn't get a whole lot of time, but maybe like a C plot is Book going back to his home world to meet up with his adopted brother so yeah. they can do a rite of passage for his son. Mm-hmm. And he's there and you're getting questions about, well, why didn't Book do this? And there's, there's a lot of, you know, what's going on. And then they zip back to that periodically. And then at the very end, you books like, oh, my God, there's, you know, there's noticing animals acting strange. And then he hops in his ship and, you know, some big disaster strikes the planet. And I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like a huge moon, like the moons were exploding or something. Yeah. And so. You know, in the aftermath of the issue uh, with uh, the the space station on Discovery, book ship comes in on like autopilot or whatever. They find out, oh, there's a problem and they zip out to see what's going on at Mm -hmm. his home world. And it's not at the coordinates that it's supposed to be at. And they find it, and it's like millions of kilometers away, or whatever it is. And it's a it's a wreck. the mm-hmm. The world is dead. It's burning up from the inside because there's weird spatial anomaly that knocked the the um, the space station off its axle and slammed into this planet and destroyed it. Yeah. So yeah. Now that and that's the cliffhanger. Everybody's like. Oh, <laughs> right. The president, Burnham, Book, everybody—they're all like, "Oh my God, what's going to happen?" And that's where they end. But just before that, galaxy-ending threat, right? Because that's what happens when you have this 10, season. fifteen episode seasons, right? <laughs> but then, and here comes one of the other frustrating, I think scenes is well burnham gets into numerous debates with the president on the bridge in full view of the queue the crew the command crew on open comms where she's like yes. did you fly to him okay one that's that's bad um radio discipline as we like to call it <laughs> okay, and two, it's just bad leadership to have these open mm-hmm. de- these debates on open channel. Okay, oh yeah, in full in full you know view of your crew and in, in ear distance. It's 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 rough, and then you know you have this you know 
discussion behind closed doors about the president saying, I'm evaluating. And she's like, oh, so you aren't out here just to check a block to say I went and did something dangerous. She's like, no, I'm reviewing command, you know, people, you know, captains for upcoming Voyager command. I literally wrote this down. I wrote this down. Presidents, the president shouldn't be evaluating captains for Starfleet. No, that you're right. That should be Admiral Vance's job. If or maybe one of what you would hope would be several admirals below him. Uh, right. One would think that you'd have a few more admirals. But even a group of four or five, considering the size of Starfleet, you'd have to have something. You have right. a captain reporting directly to the chief of staff repeatedly. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have and now what there's no chain of command. Okay. You've got one president. Where's where's the is there a council? I mean, right now you're you're seeing like the Federation and Starfleet. Is it one? Is it the same? I mean, there's a lot of questions with that. And now you have Michael Burnham as a captain of one ship, basically like asking the feder asking the president how to run the Federation. It's like (laughs) she's like, and then she's like. And presume, well, I wouldn't leave Discovery anyway. I'm like, look, if the president says you're not going to be captain of this fucking ship, you're probably <laughs> not going to be captain of this ship. Okay, right. you just went and and I'm not saying that the president was right in all of the things that she said. And I I don't. I think one. Uh, why didn't she have an aide or? security detail or anything with them i mean slim pickings man slim pickings i guess so um but still i mean it's like there's no mechanisms and i get it it's almost like the rebel alliance you know it's like oh we're this plucky little ragtag group okay Mm -hmm. i get it okay i know my u.s history i know how you know there was like very little in the way of a general, you know, a staff, George <laughs> Washington, and how the Continental Congress was practically about ready to fight themselves half the time. I get it. But still, uh, I mean, it's like it was a pissing contest between Burnham and the president. Right. And why that, would the president be having a pissing contest with a? am sorry, I cut you off. But why would she have a pissing contest with a captain? Because it's Star Trek, I guess. I mean, it's... And I'm not saying that all the points were wrong. Okay? Burnham... She kind of calls Burnham out on her recklessness. Okay? She is reckless. Yeah, no, I agree. She is. She's as reckless... You know, Picard was very measured. He was one of those measure three times, cut once kind of guys. Janeway was in a very extenuating spot. Yeah. But even she tried to be thoughtful. She was very rarely rash. Right. She could be. And she probably never entered a a, a situation that he knew he couldn't win. True. (laughs) And while he was rash too, there were. You know, more often than not, he always had like this look like, I know what's going on. Exactly. Burnham, exactly. Really, they barely paint Burnham like that, okay? 
Um, like, well, okay. Yeah. Like, oh, I've got this card up my sleeve. A lot of times it seems like, you know, it, it she, uh, there, it, you do see the doubt on her face that you'd see more of somebody like with a Benjamin Cisco who you would see behind closed doors, maybe with Dax expressing his doubts about situations. You know, well, Picard did that too. Yes, a lot of times with Crusher and Troy. Yeah, uh, but uh, Archer would do that with Trip. Archer definitely, you know, was. I mean, and they, it was. It made sense, but at times, Archer looked like he was in over his head, particularly in the first couple of seasons. But. Uh, yeah, it's supposed, <laughs> you know, and it's it makes a lot more sense for the character. What I'll say this about Burnham is that she is tough. She is smart. But. I still don't think they've applied it well with her. She is not disciplined. She's insubordinate. And. At times, with the exception of like how beat down she looked at the very beginning of, of season one where she's in prison, you know, yeah. since then there's been very few times where she's taken, where it feels like she's understanding the gravity of her actions. The only other time I can really think about that is, you know, when she had to be fully honest at the trial at Navarre. So, right. Right. And even so, then they pretty much had to beat it out of her. Yeah. So, so enough about Burnham. We've talked a lot about her. And I feel uh, yeah. bad because I'm sure this is going to come off like I'm completely shitting on Burnham. But that, that's I'll why I'm this. trying to change the subject. <laughs> it, it was it was an awkward scene. Yes. yes. The Federation president was also weirdly placed at that time. I'll say yeah, this. Uh, again, bad writing. If they continue with at least some of the attempts at trying to be lighter where, you know, where it's just not all gloom and doom all the time. You know, I, I, I did say la- that I enjoyed last season more. I felt that some of the cast really started to come into their own a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I would like to see more growth. I would like to see just a tad more common sense with how things get run on that ship. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. What do you think, my friend? You saw it. You have notes. I do. Um, so a couple things. I mean, we already went through the the meat uh, of it. I'm just gonna, you know, put some parsley on. Um, I am jealous as hell of their effects and their ability to make the special effects that they do now. As opposed to what could have been done back in the 90s with with this kind of ability. Oh, my God. I mean, we only started seeing the benefits of CGI and what it could do with the Dominion War, which I felt very satisfied uh, visually with. And I knew there was a certain there was a certain frustration that I had knowing their effects limitations. And when you would hear them talking about planes 
or, or other, other shuttles or, or other fighters or hoppers or things like that, but we couldn't see it, you know? Um, and and so I, I am immensely jealous that discovery gets this benefit and the other shows didn't. I don't know if this crossed your mind at the end and I could be very wrong, but do you think the big bad is going to be the planet eater? Oh, you mean like, uh, what the one that ate the the constellation from the original series? Yeah. And, and that ate Decker. Well, it crossed there's my one mind. thing I is, is, there's one thing I've learned about Star Trek is you don't want to be a Decker. No, you don't. Both you of don't. them, both of them didn't get get out of their first appearance alive. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, I mean, what do you think? I mean, there are some hallmarks to it where it completely destroyed a planetary system. Yeah. Uh, although it didn't eat it all. I'm actually hoping for Unicron. If we're going to go all out there, let's just go. Let's let's get well, the, the, the planet eating planning. Same parent company. So it could happen. So <laughs> bring G.I. Joe into the mix, too. Why don't you? So... <laughs> Well, somebody's got to teach these guys how to be a real military. Right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, overall. Okay. Well, I mean, that would be a neat callback. They brought back the Guardian of Forever, season three. Well, at this point, the way the ships are, are made nowadays, it looks more like Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Well, For, you know, that books, does irritate book me. ship with the programmable matter. It almost looks like it defies physics at times because it's like the whole ship like comes apart. And I'm like, is there like, no (laughs) is there no interior space that, I mean, if there was a way to kind of like have it morph, I can see that, but it's like, it looks like the whole thing completely comes apart. And I'm like, where are the people? Yeah. Yeah. God help you. You're, you're, you're that one crew member in that uh, connecting part that dissipates. In the um, in the latrine that's down the hall. <laughs> I do find it annoying that they have like parts of ships that are not connected to the ship. It feels like an unnecessary energy expenditure, and it's ju- it's obviously just for show. And, and but <sighs> I wish they had again not a single solitary scientific advisor on the commi- on on the writing staff. And they're like, this I mean, is that cool. true or like, is that just what we think? I it's what I think. Because I, I, no, no one worth their salt with any half of a scientific mind would allow half of this stuff that's going on here. Well, I mean, and of course, that goes back to the great uh, turbo lift chase from last year. That apparently, was oh like, my god, it was like a <laughs> twenty mile long chase, is what somebody computed it out I to be. Forgot all about that. You're absolutely right. So. Where I mean, the the discovery might as well have been uh, what a star the, destroyer, a star destroyer, or it might as well have been it might as well have been the TARDIS, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, we we're we know, we understand that there's definitely some problems with continuity here, and yes, the technology sometimes I think goes a little overboard, but. I did find some storytelling in the in seasons two and three of Discovery to be very solid. I enjoyed the Red Angel plot 
through most of season two. I liked Pike. To me, he was the most Star Trek captain that they showed in Discovery. Real Giorgio wasn't bad, um, but you don't see enough of her. Um, the, the original Giorgio. Giorgio right. Prime. Right. <laughs> Which, of course... Um, But, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's, ju- it's just, you're, you're, you're losing gas, man. Well, I mean, Saru <laughs> turned out to be a halfway decent captain, but, you know, he also had a first officer who continued to get in the way of half the time. Yeah. So, I mean, yes. oh, here's something I didn't, I, I did miss one of the other small side plots was Saru on. Uh, back on Kaminar, uh, which I liked. Yeah, Saru I mean, I'm all was, for that. Uh, was was much more relaxed. He was wise, and you realize oh, we got we're missing Saru on the Discovery here. Somebody who kind of tempers the bullshit. Well, uh, yeah, Saru brings wisdom, right? And this new, older, more mature version of Saru is is really very it's a plus and i did like you know okay they see the kelpians and the baul movements uh you know <laughs> and come on dude they looked like floating i don't know they were like practically non-corporeal uh yeah water. Well, there was something else that's for sure but okay so they're finally agreeing you know uh, and, and living in harmony together. Nice, right? Balkans and Romulans generally living in harmony together. Nice, okay? Progression, right, in the franchise? So, but that just gave us time to say, okay, this is how we're going to make sure Saru comes back. Uh, what what was the um, young Kelpian's name from last season? Uh, I don't know. You mean the one that destroyed all of the dilithium? Right. Everybody's... Yeah, so, well, some people don't like me because, you know, I almost wiped out the universe. But there's yeah. a lot of people here who are taking care of me. Well, okay, get it. Weird exigent circumstances. Got it. Not intentional. Got it. Okay. Um, but I do like, you know, that he was able to basically give something back to Saru and was like, I am okay. I'm safe here. You can be both here, you know, overcomes, I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. but you can, you can still provide a voice to your people now, but you can be where you belong. And that's good. Now we're going to get Saru back <sighs> because Saru generally was the one who would say, um, you know, whatever half brain scheme, everybody else on the ship wants to pull up. Are we sure <laughs> that we want to do this? So, it, yeah. um, it, there was potential. And we'll see how it plays out. It was the only the first episode. And okay. in this day and age, like a single episode doesn't tell a complete story anymore. So. I, I, I'll i give it about a 75. Oh, I'll, I'll give it a 63. It's uh, still on the fresh. Still on the fresh meter. So we'll see. <laughs> no, now ask me my other rating system. 
Yeah. So, uh, what on the ABCs? <laughs> In my head, it makes sense, DT. In my head, it makes sense. Well, so, I understand. So we'll uh, we'll reconnoiter. Uh, maybe maybe we won't review every single episode. No, no, I think that that'll be... get that'll get a little monotonous. But we can yeah. check in as the season progresses. Yeah, and... maybe do a halfway mark and then a re- season wrap up. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Um, I will say this: um, I am looking forward to getting Saru back on Discovery. See what's going on there. I'd like to see them engage with. You know, we we got robbed of seeing the building of the Federation in Enterprise. I would like to see a little bit more of the rebuilding of the Federation. Uh, visiting legacy races that doesn't have to be like, well, what happened to the Klingons? I mean, they were the big thing in the first season. Where are the Klingons in this? The Gorn. This would be a great time for the Gorn. Mm, the Gorn hegemony. I mean, basically, what isn't it? Is it the entire galaxy, or is it just the Alpha Quadrant that was crippled? It seems to be like every, like the galaxy is what. See, because apparently, you know, they used to be able to go way all over the place. You know. Hmm. I'd also like to know what. Uh, I also like to know what's going on with the board because. Hmm. Uh, oh wait, we're gonna find out. We're gonna find out in season two, Picard. Never mind. Yeah, let's let's not over <laughs> overdo it with the Borg. Okay, yeah. but you know it'd be kind of neat if all of a sudden, oh look, there's a founder or a Jem Hadars, or mm. there's a Talaxian. You know, that there's Kazon. If this is supposed to be that much more. You know, of a you know, if it's supposed to be the ability to go it, you know, so much further, it is the thirty-second century or whatever. Let's let's check this out. I wouldn't you mind know, that. I also I just, would like. I wouldn't. You know, I'm not opposed to new races. That was one of the things you loved about the the old series is you know, strange new world, seek out new life. But let's have a little common sense to it, okay? you're going to have a first contact do a first contact have it fraught with a little tension but not absurdity no you know? i agree i can't argue with that that's a good point and i'd like to see them working with another starship from that time right <clears throat> Well, that would require us being introduced to a whole new crew, and uh, I don't know if the writers can do that, man. <laughs> it would be well, nice. I'd love to see it. You saw yeah. elements of that problem, though, in Next Generation, uh, in particular, when um, what was the name of the captain that was uh, bombing the Cardassian uh, ships? Maxwell. The Max, Wounded, Max, one of my favorite episodes of Next Gen. Right, and we didn't see any of that crew. We only saw Maxwell. Yeah, got it. But there was at least so, another ship, a different ship. There was. You at least got to see interaction with another captain. Okay, I got it. You know, limitations. 
but you already were interacting with a crew of Cardassians as well. Yeah, but that's different because they're aliens. Right. Right, but and still. Could, maybe it could be considered like too many Federation personnel, but it gets too monotonous, too different. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm not trying to crap on your point. That's That was never my intention. I was just thinking, first of all, it was it's done fine. that way in the next generation for budget purposes, not for right. writing purposes. Now they don't. They, they've got uh, unlimited budget, apparently. I just don't think the writers are. Uh, paramountly. Paramountly. Yeah, Look, dude, it, it, is, it is the tentpole of Paramount. We all know this. Star Trek is its one of its biggest names. Right, and they need to start treating it like that then. <laughs> well, they're trying. They've got... They're trying. But, but but man, they'll have had a four series on the air. Well, uh, I haven't watched Prodigy yet. You have, right? Five, I'm sorry. No, I haven't yet. Because it I is eight kids. No, um, I hear the feedback hear, coming from it is good. From the most pessimistic of Star Trek fans, I've heard that it is good, too. So, may have to look into that. Well, I mean, the may word is that, that not only are they getting, you know, they have Kate Mulgrew back, but apparently Robert Beltran's also supposed to come back. Heard that. And he was, like, done with Star Trek when Voyager finished. So, I mean... That's a good sign. You know, it would be Robert Beltran's character just wasn't well done. Well, and, they... and neither was Harry Kim's. Um, so the everlasting blame, ensign. Uh, yeah, I don't blame Beltran for feeling the way he did, wanting to just be done with it and move on in life yeah, because I get it. The writers didn't do him any any favors. Outright. No. And the Native American angle was something that they were setting up in the first season or two, and it just kind of... Oh, my God. It just kind of got awkward. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think it was a real tribe. I think it was a fictional tribe. And uh, oh, Yeah. So, well, we are now an hour and ten into this recording. So, <laughs> ah, we, we're really not, because we didn't start... Chatting. Okay, an hour five. We're an hour five into the recording. We're about an hour into the recording. Um, but, okay, so we've kind of wrapped up dis- the discovery. We're saying, we're seeing signs that there there is some potential for, for good storylines coming forward. Yes. And I'm cautiously optimistic. Yes. And hopefully we'll get... Uh, a little bit more uh, world federation building uh, and seeing what's going on in the 32nd century, whatever. Mm-hmm. But part two, and this one can be fairly, sh- you know, the shorter piece anyway, is last week was we had Disney Plus. Was it last week? Uh, Might have been. Uh, was or was before, it two weeks week ago? ago? So about a week and a half ago was Disney Plus Day where they dropped a whole lot of news and trailers on upcoming movies and tv shows and specials on disney plus and some disney projects and a lot of them fall under our blanket of sci-fi fantasy superhero stuff you know Mm -hmm. so marvel had a lot to say and star wars had a lot to say 
Not much. No, no, no. Marvel had everything to say. Star Wars had one thing to say. Well, (laughs) in the last week or two, they've been dropping some more information about both Kenobi and Ahsoka. They've been announcing new cast members for Ahsoka, which is Mm -hmm. interesting because they're like they did with Rosario Dawson. They're recasting Sabine Wren's character. So it looks like Ahsoka is going to be fulfilling the promise from the last episode of Rebels. Finding Ezra. It's finding Ezra, which also includes Finding Thrawn, Thrawn, which was teased in the Mandalorian episode, The Jedi, which was a great episode. I enjoyed Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka. I do understand why people were disappointed that it wasn't Ashley Eckstein, who was the voice of Ahsoka through... All of uh, all of Clone Wars and Rebels, but I get it. Um, of course, you know having Katie Sackhoff coming back as Bo-Katan also throws a wrench into this whole thing too. <laughs> but yes. Katie Katie Sackhoff is pretty. She's she's got they modeled they sci-fi Craig out off of her, right? So and, and yes, yeah, she was Starbucks, so she she could be. Bo-Katan in, in that sense. Ashley Eckstein, different on-camera presence than her voice. Yeah. So, I think she's very short. <laughs> Which is probably why she was very well cast to play a 15-year-old at the time. <laughs> at the time, yeah. So, I want to I want I want to talk Oh, and Hayden Christensen is reported to, to appear yes. in the not only in Obi-Wan but with Ahsoka, so maybe we're getting flashbacks to, maybe there'll be a flashback to Clone Wars era, which means, you know, it would be great is if you could get a cameo of Ashley Eckstein as young Ahsoka with Hayden Christensen's uh, Anakin Skywalker in a flashback. That, uh, you just blew my mind, man. I would like that. That would be great. <laughs> I I'm, would like I'm that. Saying, I'm saying we're probably at a bridge too far with that. Uh, uh, but yeah. we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Now, I do recommend Straight that you watch. Things have happened. None of us expected Luke Skywalker last year. So, <laughs> yes. I do recommend you watch the little short documentary Under the Helmet about I Boba saw Fett. I loved it. That was it was great. a fun little watch. The one thing that um, they did do was stiff the guy who was the original voice of Boba Fett. Yeah. They yeah, talked about everybody I, I, else, including the guy who was the model for it. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I, I thought I thought that that was cute and everything. I, um, it was good. My daughter and I sat and watched that together. That was neat. We actually watched a lot of those Disney Plus. Um, if you go, if you went on to Disney Plus, they'd have they had some of these little upcoming. It was almost like preview. Yeah. yeah. And um, the upcoming stuff like with Hawkeye, which is yes. coming out in a tomorrow. very, very soon. Day after tomorrow. Yeah, it is tomorrow, isn't it? It is tomorrow. tomorrow the 24th. Yep. As we record. <laughs> As we record um, tomorrow, Hawkeye comes out. And I'm looking forward to it because be he, Hawkeye was excruciatingly underused in the original Avengers movie. He got a little cameo in Thor. Uh, 
which kind of established a little bit of his personality just a tad but that's it you see him in that one scene you never see him again then you get avengers and in the avengers for half of his screen time he's brainwashed so he's not really the clinton barton you know so he's kind of underutilized there um age of ultron he got some love i like that That was the hawkeye show really (laughs) i enjoyed the family aspect of him because that made him stand out from the other characters completely nobody else had anything resembling a healthy family life no no uh nothing even close (laughs) and i i I am looking forward to seeing how he moves on after being ronan um and obviously we see kate bishop played by Haley steinfeld or steinfield and she, she's know. a talent. She's a talent. She, a ta- she she was an immense talent when I I I saw her on Pitch Perfect too. I'm like, oh, she's upcoming. She's up and coming. I saw her uh, in her in her debut role in the re, in the remake of True Grit. True Grit. That's right. I forgot. I'm an old, I'm that. an old Western fan, and yeah. you know I like the John she Wayne. She was really version. good. She was, she was very well done in that. She was tough. Mm-hmm. I th- and she was maybe 12 or 13. Yeah, so, she was And little. of course, and I haven't seen Bumblebee. I wanted to see it, but apparently she was pretty oh, good. Oh, you need that. to see it. You need to see it. Is it on Paramount Plus? Probably. I'll have to look in it. Oh, but that I, was I, so good. Bumblebee I heard it great. was. I heard it was. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, you've got somebody who has some legit acting chops, who's got some some sci-fi superhero cred. Uh, which I think so that can go a long way with the fans. And while you will get like recently, they just announced that Sylvester Stallone is coming back in Guardians of the Galaxy three. Do you have a big role? No. Was he basically Sly in space? Yeah. Yep. Am I looking forward to seeing Sly in space with his crew? Hell yep. yeah. Let's go steal <laughs> some shit. That had me hooked at the end. You know, I like Bumblebee is on Paramount Plus, by the way. Excellent. I'll have to I'll have to check it out. That's a good watch with the daughter. Eh, maybe something to do before I take off. Yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to Hawkeye. There's rumors that maybe you'll see Kingpin. Maybe you'll see Matt Murdock. It's all about it. All of these shows that they're talking about have all been alluding to Matt Murdock and Kingpin. Hawkeye, um, Moon Knight, which is Marvel's Batman. She-Hulk. Echo and She-Hulk. Echo and She-Hulk. Echo is, 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 she's got a show now, and it's coming. Echo is Kingpin's daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, from what I understand is that the character is deaf. She is. And an amputee. And so is the actor. I don't know about amputee. But. The actress is a Native American deaf amputee actress. Well, there we go. That, but apparently that's what the character is supposed to be, or at least, and she's supposed to show up in Hawkeye, I think. Yeah. I, I like we what I see. We might even see Moon Knight. I mean, we, we might see in, instances of all of them. By the way, <laughs> the trailer for She-Hulk when they did the 1970s at the very end was hysterical. 
you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, good. it's grainy, like it's an old film from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, Mark Ruffalo just looks like probably how Mark Ruffalo dresses at home. A little bit like Mark Bob Love <laughs> crossed with uh, George Lucas uh, in yes. that outfit there. And uh, it, it's great. And I look forward to it because She-Hulk is an intriguing character. Apparently, it's supposed to be a pretty fun uh, series from what I'm saying. There's supposed to be some some humor in it. Uh, and, you know, Ruffalo actually gets a chance to, like, Hawkeye finally got a chance to have his own story. Black Widow has a chance to get, had her chance to have her own story. While the Hulk has not really had a chance, well, at least not Ruffalo. Uh, Edward Norton, he did hit his and. You know, you got to see chunks of the Hulk in Age of Ultron and Thor Ragnarok and, and some in the Infinity War, uh, the Infinity War and Endgame. Mm-hmm. But now he gets to have a little more because he's got a co-starring role like Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now they got they got co-starring roles. So I'm very yeah. interested to see what's going on with with some of these Moon Knight looks interesting. There's. I guess there's a little mysticism and maybe mysticism a, a horror and, vibe a little uh, psychosis. Ah, <laughs> well, yeah. Oscar Isaac so. looks bug-eyed in like all of the the, the footage, yep. and of course, well, great great casting. I don't know much about the character. I know he's kind of like Batman. He's just uh, like Batman, except he's crazy. <laughs> so he is just like Batman. Yeah, I know, right? An argument could be made about Batman being crazy or Bruce Wayne being crazy too. Right. Yes, absolutely. This uh, one we have a genuine documented psychosis of uh personality disorder. So Isn't Moon Knight Native American? I don't know. Genuinely, I don't know. I know and obviously you're seeing that there's a lot of a lot more diversity in the characters coming out and of course they're now picking from not like it's not just the top tier names you know Captain America Thor No well they, you no. can't now I mean like you have to start digging through the war chest Well so. at least until they can get the X-Men and Fantastic 4 in into production right. And so, as long as they keep Spider-Man in the wings. So, <laughs> you know, and Which I'm looking I've forward to it, though. What's that? Good authority that the relationship between Sony and Marvel is very strong. And they both intend on working together for, with Tom Holland Spider-Man for as long as as long as they can do it. Like, well, that would be great because I think he's doing a great job. And since he's tied into other things. You, you don't worry, I think, about getting the franchise fatigue that some of the other ones did because mm-hmm. they would just overstuff the Spider-Man movies as they got longer and longer. Now he can have Doctor Strange there and then he can show up in who knows any of these New York based sh- shows or movies. He can show up in a cameo or, you know, you can hear oh. J.K. Simmons bitching in the background about <laughs> And that guy could, and you know what? Here's something else. He could be an interconnector, particularly for these New York series. The day was it the Daily Bugle.net. So if he's going after Spider-Man, you could see him showing up and commenting on a trial that 
Jennifer Walters is doing and so on. Because aren't a lot of some of these shows are taking place in New York. Would it not surprise you to see J.K. Simmons bitching and moaning in the background about Ronan or Hawkeye being loose in New York? That would make sense. That would make sense. I had this whole vision when we found out that Spider-Man was coming into the MCU of them using Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to try to track down this vigilante that had all the powers of Spider-Man. And we see Peter Parker in a special, his old homemade suit and stuff, um, every now and then and eluding the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That would have been fun. I'm curious to see... If S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of comes back out. Now, obviously, there's S.W.O.R.D. I think they're doing S.W.O.R.D. now. I think, I they think are. S.H.I.E.L.D. But, is mostly dead, and it's S.W.O.R.D., long-lived S.W.O.R.D. Well, S.W.O.R.D. is also more outwardly focused. True. Like space and stuff. So, who knows? I mean, it'll be interesting to see, because, well, what secret invasion is? It, it, is Nick Fury... What he's working at with the scrolls is that sword too, or is it just that douchebag and his cronies from WandaVision? Because that guy was a total pencil pushing tool. Hayward I don't or know. whatever his name. <laughs> I mean, my kid got really excited. She got one of those Lego blind bags for the Marvel that had, uh, and she's not huge into superheroes, but we got the Monica Rambeau. Oh, superhero. cool. And of course, she likes. She definitely is a very excited when she sees female superheroes. Yeah. So, but and that's something else that we're probably going to see in Hawkeye is a, a is the end credit scene from Black Widow when Contessa sends uh, uh, Elena Belova after Hawkeye. So, at well, some I point. Think- the Kingpin, I think Kingpin is the one who's working on um, Contessa and everything. It'll be interesting because we have a lot of hints now of shadowy figures controlling things. Right. Was and, Sharon and Carter Fisk truly the power broker? Figure. Yeah, Wilson Fisk, which, by the way, Vincent D'Onofrio crushed it as Wilson Fisk. And He'll be I, back. I think it would be foolish if he wasn't same uh, thing with Charlie Cox as, as Matt Murdoch which they've He'll all be basically confirmed they are so that that's looking interesting so we've got Hawkeye's coming out tomorrow and in the next year we have She-Hulk Moon Knight and I think we don't have release times for those no, but we've so seen coming out next year. and Miss Marvel in the next year. Oh, yeah, Ms. Marvel. So yeah. those are the three. Now, they, they showed Hawkeye an extended clip, and then they did She-Hulk, Moon Knight, and um, and uh, Miss Marvel all got trailers. And then they got uh, Secret Invasion with the, you know, Scar. shot. Samuel L. Jackson. Looking like mm-hmm. the shots that everybody thought the evil Mace Windu who would possibly show up in The Mandalorian <laughs> or in uh, Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then Echo got announced as well. So they announced those, but there was no real footage of any of them. Just Sam 
giving you the stink eye with his dead eye, which was cool. <laughs> That's a, that, that is a Nick Fury I'm interested in seeing. Yes. Um, but that, that was cool. <laughs> so uh, I, I, look, I look forward to that. I, I think we're going to see some interesting things. Obviously, with Miss Marvel, you're going to have the first practicing Muslim superhero character on TV and movies. And I guess that's also going to combine into the Captain Marvel sequel, the Marvels, which is supposed to have um, Captain Marvel, Monica Rambo, and Miss Marvel. I think are all supposed to be in that. Is Rambo a Marvel? Well, she remember she was the daughter of Monica's wing, and yeah. oh, I, I remember or of, yeah. of Carol's wingman. And then she's in WandaVision and she gets powers from being blasted through the damn uh, force. I mean, she essentially got powers from the Mind Stone. Right, from that stuff. So we'll see. I think she's supposed to be in the Marvels, which is interesting because either she she took up, like she might have even held the the mantle of Captain Marvel at one point in the comics too. But it'll be interesting to see. But uh, so now you're you're getting to see a lot of diversity here, which is good because yeah, the the original six were all pretty white. Oh, that's because of Ike Perlmutter. <laughs> well, Ike Perlmutter insisted on that. And yeah, then, and then he was he was uh, shown the door in 2015. So. Which is good. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you have Rhodey, yeah, you know, you have War Machine, you have Falcon. Oh, uh, Armor Wars is uh, got teased as well. It did get Nothing. teased. You're right. Um, Don Cheadle, great. Uh, you know, love seeing him as War Machine. Who doesn't love Don Cheadle. He's yeah, he's really good. <laughs> A lot of things. he's good in everything he does. I right. just wish that he doesn't look so sickly. <laughs> he looks sickly in in. Um... Avengers Age of Ultron Yeah I don't know Maybe he was going through uh, You know I mean who knows he could have been Battling his own thing I mean mean, Chadwick Boseman went through Straight up beast mode Action movies while fighting You know basically terminal cancer Yeah Yeah you're right So But Disney Plus Day gave us a lot of Neat things to chew on um, I I am very much looking forward to Kenobi coming out. Uh, I'll be interested to see how they deal with that because it'll be interesting to see the excuses they use to get him off world and leaving Luke <laughs> a little little exposed here or there. And maybe there were things where where it gets dangerously close. You know, uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I do uh, think it's going to be interesting to see him fighting Darth Vader again. Um, because, I mean, Darth Vader goes, well, that's the name I haven't heard in a long time. Which I guess could be five years, right? <laughs> well, it's supposed to take place, like, I guess, halfway between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. So, yeah. I mean, it's that's, that's supposed to be about an 18-year mark. So if it's in a... Eight to nine years is a long time, you know, for for most people. Maybe not Yoda, but, you know. 
<laughs> Obi-Wan, Obi, you know, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Okay, well, it's a decade is a long time. <laughs> and yes, of course, you know, the how the original movie almost made it seem like it wasn't 20 years between, you know, everything going to shit, but more like 40 or 50 or something like that. Right. Kind of, kind of right. has in the original running. But of course, obviously, it, like, oh, well, if Luke and Leia are like 18 years old at the start of A New Hope, then I guess they're going to get, you know, if they're being tied to this whole thing, I guess we, we've we got a self-imposed time limit. <laughs> yeah. But I'm looking forward Indeed. to that. I know they, they mentioned things about Andor and Ahsoka coming out in the next year. The, the the trailer for the book of Boba Fett though looked sweet. I'm excited, and they gave a release date for that, right? March? No, it's uh, like December 29th. Oh, that's right. It's right. It's right around oh. the corner. And anytime you can get more Tamara Morrison as any of the Fets is 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 up for me. Yeah, yeah. a gr- a truly great underrated actor, Tamara Morrison. Love it. And a huge Ming-Na Wen fan. Looking forward to more of them together. That's that's going to be a fun dynamic duo right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with Ming-Na Wen, who is 55, by the way. Yeah, I know. And, and, and she's... Can we, all, can we all drink from the nectar that she's drinking? Because, uh, wow. They did an... She did an unboxing video. They sent her... The, the I guess Lego sent her a um, one of the Mandalorian uh, the 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 Imperial Star Cruiser from the Mandalorian which had a fan <laughs> and she like went completely like fangirl because she's a huge sci-fi fangirl so she and she's been named a Disney legend because she was Mulan and of course Disney princess uh... she's a Disney princess she's a Marvel superhero. And uh-huh. she's in Star Wars, so she's, she's basically Star- got she's the, the crown jewel, the, tri- the the triple crown. Yeah, the only <laughs> way I think it gets any better is she shows up on one of these latest Muppet spinoffs. <laughs> and that'll happen probably. So <laughs> no, no surprise. By the way, the Muppet Haunted House was actually pretty fun. The Haunted yeah. Mansion. So there we are, folks. A little Muppet love. <laughs> A little uh, Muppet but, love. Which, of course, you have to have if you like Star Wars, because Baby Yoda, Yoda, a lot of these things were done by the Henson Creature Shop. Yes. Uh, It's it's a shocking thing that Disney never bought the Henson Creature Shop. They only bought the Muppets. There must have been some other things tied to it. But it's more the the IP name. But funny story. Empire was being filmed in, in, in England. The Muppet Show was produced in England. And when, I guess Frank Oz let it loose to Jim Henson that things were getting really tense on the set of Empire. Mm. And Jim Henson shows up with a bunch of the Muppets. And he and Frank Oz kind of put on a little bit of a mini Muppet show <laughs> in the Dagobah scene with like Yoda and Luke Skywalker. And there's some really great pictures out there about that where there was yeah. like a sing along 
Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's just awesome, like, all the way back, right? I'm so, sure there's video of it somewhere, or film of it somewhere. There, there are pictures. I've seen pictures. It's yeah, I've seen the pictures, hilarious. too. There's, like, Kermit sitting next to Yoda on the log in, in the Dagobah Swamp. So, um, anyway, full fan nerd alert, (laughs) but uh, I think, I think the big takeaway here is you've got a lot of exciting stuff coming. You're cutting me off here. (laughs) You got a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline, especially on the Disney side. Yes. Um, And, you know, Star Trek is chugging along, you know, trying to find refine its identity, and I think they're working on it. Um, they have some and, big uh, stuff coming out. What is Picard in January? Uh, they did not give a release date. I don't think they just they just said twenty twenty two. And so is Strange New Worlds. They're both coming in twenty twenty two. So Star yeah. Trek, Star Wars, Marvel. All set to have big 2022s. Wow, we did a we did a, a heck of a cover this the, this this. Uh, <laughs> this we episode. did. We Ooh. hit three of the biggest franchises out there today. Media, you know, uh, uh, media franchises. So yeah, yeah, that's it. You've got the two greatest tent poles of sci-fi and we've got the superpower of superheroes mm-hmm. uh, although apparently Dwayne Johnson's got quite a DC uh, lineup coming out next year too with Black Adam and the Shazam. Marvel or the uh, yeah the uh, Captain Marvel <laughs> the DC Super Pets, whatever it is, an animated oh, movie. Oh my God, John Krasinski. Krasinski is. Yeah. I didn't see the trailer for that, but I guess that's coming. <laughs> that's like well, that's like Earth Three or something, or Earth Twelve, or I don't yeah. know. But uh, so you know, and obviously, <laughs> obviously, you know, no, no one's bigger than the Rock, right? No. So. And you can always smell what he's cooking. Well, he's definitely cooking everywhere. <laughs> uh, um, that is true. He's Jungle Cruise, Disney, Fast. He's He's been back, invited back for the finale of the Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. He's doing DC. He was in Star Trek. He was. Yeah, he was, I, that was one of his first... Uh, on-camera roles. That was one of his first roles. Tukatsi. Right. The he, he gets to fight Jerry Ryan. <laughs> in a brawl. Um, but one of his first roles, I think even maybe even before that one, was on that 70s show where he played his dad, wrestler Rocky Johnson. Uh, oh. He, you know, he kind of he cameoed as his dad yeah. when the, the 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 characters of that '70s show go to a regional wrestling match, as it was in like the heyday <laughs> of the '70s. Huh. He had this I big mustache and this big afro, 
but it looked like his dad. You know, that's how yeah. that's, that's what his dad looked like. And his character of Maui from Moana was designed after his grandfather, High Chief Peter Maivia, another wrestler, but who, of course, is of Polynesian descent and everything of that. So it's good to be the rock, yeah. folks. It is. It is. The old, the old saying is, always be yourself unless you can be Batman. I think right now it's always be yourself unless you can be Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> in real life, be, be Dwayne Johnson. So, Would you be surprised if he showed up in a Star Wars movie with now that he's no. worked with Disney? You know, no, or no, I wouldn't be surprised at all. He'll, he'll. And since I'm he's sure the wrong, they're, they're crafting something for him. Oh, he, as as he's he could, done with the Black Adam. Well, he could show up in a Marvel movie as soon as he's done with Black Adam. Why? Because he's the Rock. <laughs> One last side note before we wrap it up, and this is going back to an earlier. Uh, today, I think it was, they dropped the second half of Masters of the Universe Revelation. Oh, they did? I missed it. Second half is, it's it's legit, dude. Alright, I'll look into it. Like I said, the first half, it would have been fine if it was the middle of like a 20 episode season. Yes. So. They're, um, they are doubling down with some of the Tila storyline, but you're actually seeing more of Prince Adam, and it, it's it's one you're getting All some right. great you're getting some great Mark Hamill as Skeletor. Okay. Okay. All right. I well. will I will definitely not BS you on that one. You're getting some vintage, almost Joker level sass with Skeletor. Oh, perfect. Um, perfect. Definitely some of his more maniacal, uh, but you're you're getting some because that was a big tease too. Is like, oh, Mark Hamill's a Skeletor, and then he and He Man disappear in like the first episode. They don't show back up to the to the last one. You're right. Like, oh, you're robbing me of prime Mark Hamill in a role yeah. that it was designed for him to chew scenery. That well, he awesome. It was an awesome first battle. So he is devouring you the scenery, man. He All is. Right. He's okay. chewing it up. In fact, I, I binge-watched the... It's another five episodes. Uh, I, I binge-watched the first four uh, this <laughs> afternoon. I'm going to wrap up uh, after we get off here just because I got to I gotta close it out. Yeah. Uh, so, All I'm right. interested. So something to discuss uh, next time, then, because I'll, I'll, I'll want to take a look at that. Um, so it, It's feeling a little... Like more what I think maybe a little bit more what we were expecting um, to a degree. Okay. You but said there's, that. It definitely doesn't feel as disjointed and as misguided as the first half. Okay. Well, I'll take your word for it, and uh, maybe I'll uh, uh, test a few episodes tonight. So, Bam! There we are. We've hit another major right. franchise, folks. <laughs> I think I think we got. I think we need to end it now before before we start start throwing okay, hold on. in. How <laughs> many how many nostalgia franchises from our childhood did we discuss? Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, Marvel GI Joe, Transformers. 
we didn't really talk G.I. Joe, but you know, well, we, we referenced uh, it. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Uh, oh my god. We did and Muppets. Ghostbusters. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what? Oh, you know what we just did? This folks, I'm sorry. For VH ones, I love the eighties. Oh jeez. <laughs> and on that note, that's a good that's a good thing to end on. So until next time, everyone, you guys keep dreaming. We'll keep working, and so long, folks. Hey, we'll see you on the high ground and see if we can squeeze yet another franchise in next week. <laughs> happy Thanksgiving. Oh, happy Thanksgiving, yes. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by AlphaSight Productions, produced by DT Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin Cloud at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay or go to thosescifiguys.com for past episode information.